Life is made up of many gorgeous moments. Cherish them all, big and small, with Blue Nile. Whether it's for yourself or a loved one, Blue Nile's unrivaled selection of expertly crafted fine jewelry and statement pieces help make all your moments sparkle. Blue Nile's experts are on hand to guide you, and their diamond guarantee ensures you get the highest quality at the best price. Celebrate a life well lived in the most radiant way and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you come from a different culture, you just want to be normal. And if kids look at you a different way, then you try your hardest to be normal. But what, what was normal? Back then, kids were mean. Mm. And you don't want to bring it up, memory. Yeah. You, when someone asks you to bring it up, you just shake it off. Yeah, I know. But I think in terms of like a healing process. No, no. You'll never heal from shit like that. No, but you can acknowledge it. No, no. You leave it, Emery. You just leave it. I'm Saray. And I'm Julie. This year, we travelled with our soundie Joey across Aotearoa to eavesdrop on immigrant whānau talking with their children. Every family we visited welcomed us, made us laugh, honestly made us cry. And over this series, we invite you too to listen in on Conversations with My Immigrant Parents. In this episode, we're hearing from three generations of the Ming family. We've got Mom, the grandmother, her son T and T's daughter Emery. Mom is Cambodian and arrived in New Zealand as a refugee in 1979, around the time of the collapse of Pol Pot's regime. T was only about three at the time. Many Cambodians fled to refugee camps to escape the war. Mom, her husband and T were in a refugee camp in Thailand until they were sponsored to come to New Zealand. So in the 1970s, up until the start of the 1990s, New Zealand took in 4,500 Cambodian refugees. Mom now lives in Lower Hutt with Emery's granddad, who's spoken about on this episode, but who doesn't feature. T had Emery and her twin sister when he was still a teenager, so he started off as a pretty young dad. Emery and her sister were primarily brought up by their Pākehā mother and also by their extended family. Emery has recently graduated from uni, T works as a builder, and Mom runs her own food truck. You'll hear T doing a bit of translating for Mom in this episode. They switch between a few different languages, and Mom doesn't speak quite as much as T and Emery because conversing in English at their speed is still a bit difficult for her. We also wanted to put a quick content note in here just to say that the family will be discussing war and casualties of war. So let's hear from Mom, T and Emery. My grandmother's name is Mum Niang Ming. I call her Ye, which is Cambodian for grandma, I think. Um, she came as a refugee from Cambodia in 1979, and she is very caring, very humble. This is my daughter, Emery. She's 21. This is my, uh, one of my first kids. And she's a very hard-working young lady. I have um, twin girls, Emery and Yellow Cheyenne. I have um, Kaysen, and I have another boy in Australia um, named Zane. Um, I have a stepchild named Noah, so I have a big family. My first son, T-Ming, 
he just four forty two this year. Forty two this year now. Yeah. yeah, my son. He first he's come here. Uh, just about three years old. Now he lived in New Zealand here. Uh, I think maybe yeah, so, yeah. Now he got the work uh worker. Work builder. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> Gakyo is like a really bad swear word in Cambodian. But my grandma would say it so often that I, I was sure it was my name. <laughs> and, or like uh, Migaroi, which is uh, another really bad one. You learn language, you have the swear for. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You learn the swear. <laughs> grandma, why, why is, why, what was dad's nickname? Doati. Doati. What's Doati though? Doati, you mean big son. Big son? Yeah, old son. I thought it meant fat boy. No, our son, Chow. The, when all of my children born here, four children, yep, they born Thailand. Yeah, so I come to New Zealand, speak uh, English. I only speak my culture. But my children forgot my culture. Yeah, that's why I all the time not, not speak English. Because mum's quite fresh. Yeah. I don't speak it fully, so I can understand bits and pieces. And um, I jump in from English and I jump in from Chinese to Thai to Cambodian. Mm. So I'm quite multilingual. So in one sentence, I'll cover four different languages. Because of your upbringing here in New Zealand, you were kind of, I don't know, hindered. You, you couldn't really teach me a lot about our culture. You couldn't talk to me or teach me how to speak our language. Um, so I had to learn a lot of it from you, Grandma. Growing up in New Zealand, it was um, it's so different coming to another country and trying to fit in, you know. Mm. Back then you were kind of... Cultures were all isolated in different groups in school. Do you feel like that kind of stopped you from talking to or teaching me? Oh, about. yeah, it, just, it, it, it did. It had a, played a big part. Mm-hmm. Um, English was the main language, and if you didn't speak English properly and you try to speak uh, um, Cambodian or Asian to, you know, because everybody spoke English, so you, you didn't, there was no need to, mm. apart from when you were at home with your mum. How, how do you, Grandma, how do you feel about it, though? About how you had to teach us about how to speak and stuff and how you, like, had to do all of that? So I, I like to not forget from a grandma language, Cambodia. Mm. If you can language, you learn, you're very good. And did yeah. you feel like because we were in an English-speaking country that there was no need to push it? you got to bring it down. Can you do Because, Mum, you got to... I think Mama 
need to speak English or Cambodian? Yeah, they, they, they need to speak English more when you're in New Zealand, you know. Mm. Yeah, you have to be not forgot your culture. Mm. Right? Maybe, you know, go some, can you understand, you speak some. Once the family made it to New Zealand and were confronted with a whole new language and culture, sponsorship from people who the Ming family are still close to really helped. But, of course, this whole transition period was understandably super challenging, Mm. as was making enough money once the young family started growing. And, you know, how do you safely integrate into a country like New Zealand after war, genocide, and then spending so long in a refugee camp? How long were you in the camps for, Grandma? Two years. Grandma in the camp, only two years. That granddad was telling me about, like, that you weren't allowed to have alcohol, you weren't allowed to leave the camps. Remember, he had to clean the toilets, him and boarding? No, you're not allowed. Mm. They got a rule. Mm. So it's quite strict. Mm. Yeah, they quite um, strict. They party. They party party for the, secret parties all the time. For um, friend come to uh, uh, America or come to... Australia, Canada. So everybody in the camp got separated. They, yeah, uh, separated. They were waiting for sponsors from different countries. Yeah. So uh, we were all in the camps for maybe two odd years. Um, so it was really strict in there. So we were waiting on our sponsor, which was uh, Mal King and Nisi. They were our sponsors. So they helped uh, my mum and dad set up everything, house, clothes, Mm. Everything. Um, got them work, mm. just integrated them into the community. And um, they were great. They were mm. good people. From my childhood, I remember them, and I was quite young. Mm. And that, the, the good things about it. So we, we stayed in Seatoon. I think mum and dad still keep in contact, eh, Nisi and Melking? Yeah. Um, now and then, eh? Nisi and Melking, yeah. they not live here. They live, uh, what they call, her Auckland. Just in Auckland. Oh, right. Yeah. We never really talked too much about our childhood. My childhood wasn't really great. Um, because of the upbringing you had growing up here with Granddad just coming, because they didn't really provide, like, yeah, they, your sponsors provided a lot of physical support in terms of, like, transitioning and stuff, but for people like Granddad who had just fought in the war, it probably wasn't the best yeah. um, kind of transit. Like, he probably should have been given a little bit more support, I yeah. think, because um, that affected your relationship with him growing up in New Zealand, eh? Yeah. Um, Mum and Dad escaped the Cambodian genocide. Mm. So it was a massive thing to get out of. Mm. The days of the killing fields and all that. Mm. Yeah. Do you feel like because of what Grandad went through, that was really hard for you, like why your childhood was... Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. He's not used to um, having kids or nothing, and he's he's an army, you know, he was drafted for the war. Mm. I feel like because your relationship with Granddad wasn't good, he was quite... He was quite violent. My, my relationship was just neglect. Yeah, but also really, really violent and volatile, and I feel like you, because 
oh, he still suffers. Like, granddad, love him, but he suffers a lot from his his head's still there. And you know he still has nightmares and stuff, and he still and he does things that he probably shouldn't do, like choosing to go down wrong paths and gambling and things like that that kind of pull him in. And that affects all of us. He's constantly looking for a different... Grandma, yeah. Yeah. I think a, a granddad's just like a baby. He's like a kid. Yeah. In a in a different country, you know, still experiencing a lot of things. I don't know when age. you go from when you go from fighting or being stuck, like when he was stuck in Chiang Mai and he was like down that river and stuff. And he told us, you know, he remembers seeing his friends' bodies like floating down the river. How do you go from living there and then coming here and being a taxi driver? Yeah. How yeah. do you you know how do you that wasn't easy for him either, you know? Yeah. And so his relationship, because of that, going from that to that, really affected your relationship with him. Mm. Mm. Mum's seen a lot of things, mm. things that nobody ever seen in our time now. Mm. You know, um, we are so sheltered from everything that's happened. Mm. It's crazy, you know? This is the part of the episode where I think we really get into intergenerational trauma, Mm. just hearing the Ming family's lived experiences of it. And it seems really important to flag here that escaping conflict doesn't at all mean escaping the effects of it. Like, I love you, but you you didn't really... Yeah, no, my my parenting was quite shocking. It's, um, I've never been taught how to parent because I was never really parented myself. It was hard growing up for me as a child going to school and um, not having the support to learn and do things that I needed to do. Mm. Because um, most kids these days can come home and mum and dad's there to help them, you know, do their homework, do their reading and writing. Mum and dad couldn't understand that. Dad had uh, too much on his plate. Mum couldn't really understand, you know. Mm. And... um, I had to suffer quite badly for that, and um, uh, I mean, it just ca- it just trickled on down the tracks with my brothers and sisters. Maybe that's why you couldn't really like when Shine and I were born, and you were so young. It maybe it was quite difficult for you to be there as a father for the both oh, yeah, of us, yeah. because we like I mean, we spent like we did see you, but like we'd come here like every weekend, and you, we never saw you. Yeah, no, oh yeah. Not until I was like fifteen. Yeah, when you when you're so young, you're like a child having a child, you know. Mm. I didn't really grow up properly until I was like in my late twenties, because of when I at such a young age had so much responsibility. And you were still kind of struggling. You know, I was still looking. I was help as mum and dad were working so hard to pay for this house. Yeah, um, I had to help. Look after Matthew and Andy, um, my other dad, siblings. When he dad come home, uh, when my children go pick up my children, look up children, mm. have to cook meal, everything. Mm. Mm. They go to work, hurry up, go to work to one o'clock. Mum and dad never used to come home until like eight o'clock at night, sometimes one o'clock. Mm. Dad would work two jobs, you know. Mm. He'd work during the day and clean at night. Mm. When you go to a different country, you know, you go there thinking of um, making it. Mm. But when you have to actually really work, 
it's really daunting on you, you know, because all you do is you see is what's ahead of you. You need to get that paycheck, so mm. you need to work, work, work. Mm. And um, I think it kind of got ahead of them. Mm. I was hardly ever around. Mm. That's what I mean. I um, I branched out a different way. Um, with the cool cats. Yeah, I was with Tyler. With, <laughs> I was with the cool cats, unfortunately. <laughs> but what's, what's when you, when you come from a different culture, you just want to be normal. And if kids look at you a different way, then you try your hardest to be normal. But what what was normal? What was the normal? Normal was hanging out with your mates. You know, doing things that they do. Uh, I know, experience new things together. Uh, just growing up in general mm. and neglecting your past. Mm. And that's that's what I did. Mm. Yeah. Like how they picked on you for not being normal? No, they just... Back then, kids were mean. Mm. I've shut all that out. I don't want to remember anything. Mm. When, when people were mean to you when you were younger, as you grow up, you just shut them out. Mm. Yeah, I know what you mean. And do you know why? And you don't want to bring it up, Emily. Yeah, you, I know. You, when someone asks you to bring it up, you just flick it off. Yeah, I know. But I think in terms of like a healing process. No, no. You'll never heal from shit like that. No, but you can acknowledge it. And no, no. No? No. You leave it, Emily. You just leave it. You just kind of put it in a box? Yeah. Mm. Throw it up. I think growing up as a kid, I had this, well, I'd come here, it's a three bedroom house. We'd have like 10 of us all in here mm. <laughs> running around. And my auntie, who is just two years older than me, it was, it was a dream, I loved it. Two years old. Yeah, mm. and so we had all these kids running around and I had, a, I had an amazing time. I never thought about, I mean, there were moments where I missed having a relationship with you and I wanted that, but I wasn't really, Bothered by it. you, it just, yeah. It kind of like because you've got so many kids around here. Yeah, and coming here was kind of an escape. The food was amazing <laughs> <laughs> compared to my mum's like traditional baked beans on toast. <laughs> so I loved coming here. Um, the one thing that I really looked forward to was just the food. Really, mm. grandma's grandma wet. made a little go a long way. Yeah, so yeah, it was, mm. it was good. And like every single meal, you had like fish and pork and chicken, like a combination of a everything. A sport of food. Yeah. So I really valued my childhood, regardless of whether I saw you or not. Mm. Well, <laughs> Shine and I, my sister, we're twins, and my mum, obviously, she's um, Scottish, she's very, very fair-skinned. So we were like the, the white kids of the family. <laughs> um, so but growing up, I never felt like we weren't like Cambodian or anything, I always felt like we, because we, were, we could you understand. You Yeah, we weren't really outcasts or anything. <laughs> but when I got older, people would say, oh, you know, what's it like having a Cambodian family as if, like, I was not Cambodian, if that makes sense. Um, so as I got older, I started to pick up on that and I started to realise, okay, well, maybe it's not normal we're sucking on chicken feet <laughs> or maybe it's not normal to have, like, weird, fishy-smelling food. I personally love chicken feet. I don't. You're not? Well, I'm vegan. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, central, central problem. I think Emery puts this so clearly. 
people talk to her about her Cambodian family, like she is not Cambodian. Mm. I feel like this is so common um, at school, especially like people asking you about your family to make clear that they are different to you. Yeah, you're encouraged to talk about your family as if they're different to you. Like yes. they're in the distance. They've got this culture and the, these traditions, but don't worry, I'm I'm part of you. I see that as weird as well. Yeah, yeah. Don't 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 worry. I'm I don't see you as Cambodian. I see you as being part of the dominant culture. Mm. Like we get taught from a very young age to reject the thing that makes us different in order to please mm. yeah. know, some sort of good immigrant narrative, eh? Yeah. It's like a way of showing that you belong, whereas your family doesn't. Your family's mm. always left behind backwards. Mm. Um, and I think we, we do that to ourselves as well. Like I know sometimes I'll say, um, my mum does this or my grandparents do this as an expression of traditional culture. Um as a way of kind of showing that I know I'd lack that, a disconnection from my own culture, but also probably still in ways where I'm othering myself from that or othering them from me um, to kind of prove in some way that I am just disconnected. I don't know. Like if you can observe them from... Afar. Yeah. Then you're more part of... The mainstream, the norm. The mainstream culture or... Mm. Um, yeah, Emery seems to have a pretty amazing perspective on it, though, and she really sticks by her Cambodianness. I was always really proud of it, regardless, and I was always really excited to bring my friends over to the market for food because um, Graham is a good cook and she is notorious for it. So it didn't really matter to me being different. But uh, my family, I think maybe five culture. Mm. First English, mm. second Maori, and Cambodia, mm. and South Africa. Mm. But we have like an even amount Look, I, of like yeah. kind of connections. Like we'll have um, my auntie's partner who's Maori and he'll invite us over like for hungies and stuff and grandma like comes over and, she, you know, or like they'll come to the market and they'll have some of grandma's dumplings and stuff. You got the best of it, darling. Yeah. You never really taught us anything about no. growing up being Cambodian. Um, or you didn't teach us any language or anything like that. Um, but as I've gotten older and I started studying and I started, like, pushing those questions and I started um, kind of highlighting <laughs> um, things that I really enjoyed about it to my friends and I'd really kind of, like, get excited about it. I think that's when I started bringing that home to you and really pushing for you to teach Kaysen and the boys Cambodian. I feel like, not to be thing here, but I feel like I've kind of helped bring that back a little bit. Mm, mm. She got the best of it because she had everybody around her at the, um, like you had Uncle Matthew, you had Uncle Andy, mm. Auntie La, mm. Auntie Leah. You had everybody around you, you know what I mean? Mm. Don't get me wrong, I had uh, everybody around me, but I chose to go a different way. Mm. because uh, more of a Western way. Mm. So I broke away from the culture mm. because of how I was brought up and how I was treated. You're, I, you're I ended up hating it, so that's why I went the other way. Mm. And um, He was part of the gangs. Yeah, well, yeah, well, yeah. It, was, it, just, it just happened that way. Yeah. I went that way. 
I am proud that although we didn't necessarily have the best um, relationship growing up, I would not be here or I would not be have a relationship with you today if I didn't see how hard you've worked to get it. Because mm. I know it's been a bit of a transition, but you're a good dad. Mm, thanks, Dylan. That's how um, Grandma tries to keep the culture strong in our family, mm. is by having, when they have the events at the monastery and the church and all that, we're always invited. As she will always tell us if we would like to go to church with her, mm. but I've got a bad rep at church, so I don't care. He falls asleep. <laughs> yeah, you know what? That's the last time we took you to the temple. You fell asleep and you embarrassed us. It was so, so embarrassing. Grandma was like, oh, my God, my oldest boy, he's so good. And then you come along and you fall asleep. That was so embarrassing. But we, we, Shine and I loved going to the temple because the food was so good. Like, you'd, yes. you'd come in and they, remember, Grandma, like, there'd be, like, five tables of, like, like, 20 different types of, like, jelly or, like, weird soups and stuff. It was nice. Because Grandma, when you go to the temple, have a look, you know, um, more culture. Mm. I think the way that you really ex- like got us excited for our culture yeah. was you would hype us up. You'd be like, oh, my gosh, in our culture, no one else does that. In our culture, we do that. Or you'd, you'd be like, see that fried chicken or you like that fried chicken? We did that. Us Chinese people bought fried chicken. Like, you'd really excited us. So we claimed, we, like, made big claims at, like, a young age. Grandma makes nice fried chicken. (laughs) Yeah, today sell more fried chicken. (laughs) The family has Chinese whakapapa as well, so Mm. when they talk about us Chinese people, that's because they're Cambodian Chinese. Mm. I love how mom was instilling this cultural pride in her grandkids in this really kind of gentle way because that must be a real reality. You see your descendants abandoning Mm. certain things or you see them not feeling as much love for those things as you did or them not being like a natural part of their lives. And what a cool thing to just be like, look at that. We did that. Yeah. I was going to say with the food thing um, Mm. that I think that's that's one thing where – um, because Chinese food has somehow recently become cool and mainstream and everyone mm-hmm. goes to Dominion Road in Auckland to get Chinese food, um, it's actually been like a way to fix or heal some of the internalised racism again that we had for our own culture. Where like when I was little I didn't I hated eating dumplings, um because there was something so Chinese about it. And um there's something weird about like everyone else thinking your food is cool that actually makes mm. you think it's cool as well. And I know that's not the fix. Like peer pressure shouldn't be the fix, but somehow it it works. Like yeah. if we just appreciated other people's culture, then people wouldn't be internalising all that hatred towards their own. Yeah. No, I totally get that. I've just It makes – it's kind of sad, eh? It's like no matter how many times people from your culture tell you it's good, mm. it doesn't really sink in until you hear it from – A white person. Yeah. <laughs> You taught us yeah. there was always a reason behind every bit of food. You you taught us yeah, like yeah. I think we value food so much because, because if we were like, tired like to you tell her yeah. what it looked like, you yeah. 
But like even when we were younger, you used to say to us, oh, if you're tired, it's because you don't have enough red meat. Or <laughs> if you're... Um, uh, so if you got a sore stomach, eat some chicken and rice. Or you'd there would always be a reason behind everything, and we'd always get really excited for that. <laughs> so I, why why did you always like? Who taught you like you know why it's so important to cook? Oh, when grandma lived, great great grandma grandma don't know how to cook it. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why why when do you why grandma? Born. Why is it every single time I'd bring friends over or anything, you'd be you'd always We'd like walk through the door and you'd be like, you have to eat. You can't leave without eating. Or you'd always like, yeah. Grandma's, grandma's always been like that. Yeah. Why do you think Nigel got fat? <laughs> <laughs> he got fat. <laughs> don't want to come here no more. <laughs> <laughs> Mum wanted to open a, um, mm. a fish and chip shop. Oh. She wanted to... Um, cook, she wanted to cook. She wanted to, she wanted to run a fish and chip shop, but um, it was no good because... My granddad, my dad, was—he <laughs> was terrible with money, so mm. that was a no-go. But see, the thing is, people—people people love your food always, mm. like. So, so mum just uh, went to the market and mm. started out with a barbecue. Mm, that's stand. right. Yeah, the, barbecue. Um, yeah. Market just down the and road. A, and a tent and a barbecue. Mm. Mm. And every Saturday morning, she would go down there. Mm. Each and, of us. Kids have all had a go at that damn market, honestly. <laughs> so, every, so that's that's kind of like what Mum's dream was, really. You know, she kind of got halfway there. She didn't. <laughs> well, yeah. She's still cooking, but she's just not running a fish and chip shop or something. No, but it, it was a big thing to transition from the tent to the caravan, eh? Yeah. And you, um, it's amazing how you, as a kid, you worked at the market. And each of us, like, you know, four children. Wait, how many How many kids do you have? Five. Five, sorry. More <laughs> I had to think about that. Five kids. Each of your kids had a go at the market, and now your grandchildren. Yeah, grandchildren. So it's gone through the generations. Yeah, because you have good relationships. You have a lot of people who come to the market for you. All the customer around Tai Tai here. Mm. Yeah, always... So I said, oh, you're still there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And it, 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 like, we had like this kind of... Um, oh, 10 years. Mm, yeah. People would come up to me in the Grandma, street. Grandma, not uh, oh, recognize myself. Oh, my God. 10 years. Oh, well, yeah. Mm. Has it, it's been more than 10 years. It's been a hell of a lot oh, longer than 10 years. Yeah. Like... A long time, eh? Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. All my customers always come to me. Yeah. So are you still there? I said, yeah. Mum's like an icon at the market. Yeah. She's like the low hut icon for the market. Mm. So from day one, everybody that's gone to her store it- have gone to her store mm. till now. So, mm. yeah, yeah, she's you, the icon. Yeah. So, you, I mean, you, I suppose in some ways you have a bit of a reputation for your cooking. Yeah? Of course, mm. of course. Mm. You're a bit famous. She doesn't have to catch the bus. <laughs> She'll go out on the street and my mates will drive past and pick her up. Take yeah. Home, yeah. <laughs> Do you know that this, like, kind of got me just in this moment hearing that, and I don't know why exactly, but we just all know people yeah. like that, you know, familiar yeah. faces, people you see at your, I don't know, at the cafe you always go to. At, at the market. Exactly. And they're obviously migrants. They have worked the same job for mm-hmm. years. You say hi to them, maybe after a bit you sort of learn their story. But, 
you'll never know it all. Mm. You know, there's so much to these people, to their backgrounds, and it's obvious because it's like the whole reason that we wanted to do this podcast is to open these stories up. But like, damn. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you put it real well. In this next section, T, Emery and Mom talk about their interactions with Barang people and whether they understand the struggle of integrating as refugees. Barang in Khmer is kind of similar to Pakia, meaning a foreigner, particularly one of European ancestry. Do you think Barang people uh, understand us, our culture, or have been welcoming to us? She's gonna say she's gonna say yes because she's she's like she's nice to everyone. She thinks everyone's nice. No, I don't think so. No, why? I don't think so because they never went through. They've always been here. Mm. You know, so when you're in a place and you're familiar with everything, of course you don't understand what other people have been through. They've just come into the country and they can't speak, can't read, can't, you know. Mm. So, of course, you're not going to understand. You can't comprehend war because mm. you've never been in the war. Mm. I can't comprehend it because I've never been on it. Mm. I've never seen anybody. But you still have been directly affected by it, though. I've been affected by it through mum and dad. Mm. But, you know, mum and dad have seen everything. They've seen dead bodies. They've seen people get chopped up in villages. They've seen hands get cut off for petty theft. Mm. Like people stealing vegetables and all that shit. Mm. So I think it's, it's, also it's different. I, and here, you get you get caught for stealing. You get a fine. You get a slap on the back. Mm. But uh, I mean, we don't really want people to be losing their hands for, for getting thing either, do no. we? No, but no. that's 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 like a third world thing, you know. Mm. Well, Cambodian people yeah, in but general. A lot of people don't know, are you know. Grateful to be here. Mm. They are grateful to escape that kind of third world life. If I was still back there, God knows what I'd be doing. I'd probably be farming or something, eh, Ma? Mm. You'd be a yeah. terrible farmer. Yeah, always drafted for the war. Mm. So I'm very lucky mm. in aspects of me saying that I didn't like growing up. Yeah, but you wouldn't We, I suppose you wouldn't have known, though, anything. No, of course not, no, because you don't know what the life you... Could have lived. Could have lived. Mm. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Well, Grandma's seen a lot too. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like, yeah, but her like, best friend got killed on the boat. Yeah. In front of her. Mm. But, you know, Grandma, like, and, and yeah, for sure, I think you just came, you, you came in and you, you never really told us about that. You just, you still loved us and you still cared for us because you've got a really nurturing aspect or element. Maybe? Mm. Grandma just loves her family. She does what she needs to. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I think there's always a kind of weird... Grandma's always been like that, you know? She's she's always cared for us. Mm. She, she, she loves her family. This was so moving to me. It really made me think about what women go through in war and how there's less how we have less time for their recovery and how they give themselves less time for their recovery because someone has to take care of the kids Mm. or someone has to keep the family going. Like, mum really did that and they associate her with love and with food and with 
making things work. But like, women see just mm. as much shit in war, you know? They are dealing with physical trauma, emotional trauma, and of course, sexual assault gets used as a weapon in times of war. So, but yet somehow we don't have the same like ideas around like kind of veterans. Yeah. I think it just speaks to the patriarchal way we view history and that mm. men's um, struggles, their victories are always remembered. Mm-hmm. Um, even the RSA, you know, or mm. how we choose to remember war in this country, it's very much celebrating the labour of men. Mm-hmm. Like even through that small section, we've gained some insight into just how traumatic and massive the regime, its effect was on this family and mm-hmm. it would have been for you know, millions of other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess it's how little New Zealanders can really comprehend what former refugees have been through. I mean, I think there's this stereotype or gen- like generalisation that refugees um, are having a better life here in New Zealand because, like, we've given, like, New Zealanders think, or oh, we've given you this new life and you should be kind of grateful for it. But I feel like, although, yes, we are one of those rare cases that actually are very lucky and we do have a good home and we've had a, we've developed into a really good, loving family, there has been a lot of really difficult moments that we've all had to go through to get here. Mm. And I feel like a lot of people don't recognise that from New Zealand. I feel like they don't understand that, yeah, okay, we, you know, we are grateful to be here, but it hasn't been easy and you haven't made it easier for us. No, I'm not understand you. <laughs> you understand me, eh? You, too, you talk too much technical to her. <laughs> she likes it. Go tell her. Yeah. White people. Mm. Barang people just can be plur mm-hmm. to what we've had to go through. You know? Mm. Maybe? No, you don't think so? I think grandma doesn't see when people mock or assume that you don't understand or they assume... um, Like when Dadani and I took you to the bank, remember? Mm. And we were there together, the three of us. You asked us to help you open a bank account. Yeah. And they were like, oh, no, 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 we're not going to help you because Mm. you don't know what you're doing. Because although we were communicating, you knew what we were doing. You asked us to do it for you. And they still were like, no, no, no. She obviously doesn't understand. You're, take, you're, you're trying to get her to do this. And we were just trying to help you. Like, and we had the whole family, all of us, even Auntie, La, Auntie Lee and Auntie La, saying, Emery Shai, can you go down and you help Grandma open up a bank account? Because every time she goes to do it, they're like, oh, no, no, you don't know what you're doing because you don't understand. And that in some ways is people being mean to you or assuming that you don't know. Yeah. You remember? Yeah. 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 And we got, I remember. Yeah, and mm. like even remember. when we because, were... Uh, they look, um, I am not speak, not understand. Mm. But kind I, of look down to you. Yeah. 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 But, but I, it's the same in all cultures. I just help, uh, uh, the, ask my granddaughter, both of them, go help me. Mm. But that's, that's what I mean, yeah. Grandma, when mm. I say that... The Barang people are yeah. plur in the sense that they don't, they assume that you are 
kind of like a helpless baby, mm. if that makes sense. Mm. Do you remember, yeah? Yeah, yeah. yeah. We were real mad. My sister was storming up. She was like, don't you treat my grandma like that. That only went cycle. From me home really is wherever grandma and her cooking is. Home to me is everybody. Mm. Just everybody that are together. Mm. It's, it's, it's a good feeling. Mm. It's a real good feeling. Mm. Yay? Mm. What about you? What do you feel like is home? Oh. I'm going my family, my I'm uh, happy for you, uh, anybody you got or your own life. What do you, do you, grandchildren? Yeah, you like it when we're all together, though, eh? Yeah, they, mm. they're happy to mm. see each other. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I think belong for me is when. It's a lifelong fucking answer. <laughs> <laughs> My home is uh, <laughs> happy here because uh, all of my children are born in New Zealand. Yeah. i very happy in New Zealand here. Yeah. And love heart here. Yeah, see grandchildren. Happy you like my, my doggies and my cats too, I grandma. <laughs> I like everyone to got all life, mm. have children, family. I'm very happy. Grandchildren. Grandchildren. Mm. It's always for the grandchildren. It's what they do it for, eh? Mm. Our ancestors. Go through war. Sacrifice, moving, language barriers, the hard work for 20 years. All for me to put off having children until I'm like 35, 36. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We just wanted to give a huge thank you to Mom, T and Emery for letting us spend time with them in Lower Hutt, Mm. uh, for feeding us at the market, Mom, Mm, and uh, for just sharing some of those very tough experiences with us and sharing your family with us. You can check out photos and videos of all our participants on Instagram at Convos with my, on Facebook at Where Are You From Really, and on RNZ's website. Conversations with My Immigrant Parents was created, produced and directed by Julie Zhu and Saray De Silva. Recorded by Joey Siasoko, sound engineered by Colleen Brennan, with original music by Tal. Our cover illustration is by Ngaumutane Jones at Ms. Mimo, with design by Sonia Milford. RNZ supervising producers are Sarah Vuitalitu and Justin Gregory. RNZ senior commissioner on this project is Kay Almers. Conversations with My Immigrant Parents was made possible by the RNZ NZ On Air Innovation Fund. He kōnei ipurangi tēnei mō te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. 
To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.